I'm Gabby Lagurcio, your travel agent for tonight. It's my pleasure to take you to a place full of interesting conversation and untold stories. Our expected arrival time is 8.30, so fasten your seatbelts and please open your mind. Stay tuned for some music, culture, people, and places. Because right now, it's 8.30 somewhere. All passengers to Nairobi, Kenya are requested immediately to their gate. Hi all, welcome to 830 Somewhere's third episode. In this episode, Karen, a Kenyan musician based in Nairobi, will walk us through some of the main stations of her life. She started off young, bursting into the local music scene in her teenage years. More than a decade ago, she was part of the hyped alternative hip-hop group Camp Mulla. Later in today's conversation, you'll get to hear Karen's reflections on her experiences. Later, she decided to break free from the group and pursue academic music studies in the U.S. Once there, she took part in an experimental group called Cosmic Homies. It was also during this time that Karen experienced what she called a spiritual awakening. Nowadays, she's back in Nairobi working on her exciting new project, a new solo EP. Before the recording, Karen and Ben talked about the effects of COVID, compared the weather in Nairobi and Tel Aviv, and explored Max's record collection. Oh, and by the way, if you hear some background noise, just know that the weather in Nairobi wasn't that great that day. Ladies and gentlemen, for maximum attention, please make sure your electronic devices are set to flight mode as we depart soon at 8.30. So maybe we'll just start with what kind of music you grew up on. Yeah, so my dad is the musical one in the family. He's the one who's every Sunday, every Saturday, every morning he's playing something. And so I kind of get my taste of music from him. But he's into like soul, funk, and I'm into like R&B, hip hop. So I think, I don't know, they're, they're kind of related, loosely related. Um but honestly, like my parents are like, like Nairobi is very westernized. So I grew up listening to, like I said, soul and funk, probably from like all over the world, but mainly like the Western world. Um, me, myself, I was obsessed with India Ari growing up and Alicia Keys. <laughs> so, yeah, the, those were like the first two albums that I ever had. And does it like how do you, how do you see it in relation to the music scene in Nairobi? Actually, good question. In Nairobi, we have a really rich jazz scene, jazz and soul. And so, like my mentor, even growing up, he he went to Berklee College of Music, and he's the one who influenced me to go there as well. But he used to have concerts, and there would be like Safaricom Jazz, which is this huge jazz festival. And there's 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 like a whole afro jazz genre it's called afro fusion and yeah i kind of grew up listening to that but it was like through live music and not necessarily like recorded music so how big is live music in nairobi i mean why did you bring it up because it inspired me to perform myself um it's not actually that big i don't think it's that big it's like it's a bubble nairobi has different bubbles and so if you're in that jazz soul bubble if you like really appreciate live music then there's a there's a there's a pretty booming scene of that but if you're outside of that you might not even know it exists does that make sense yeah for sure (laughs) yeah um yeah it's kind of like that and then you started playing music when you were 
young? How young? This question. I started playing music. <laughs> I, I think I've always sung and I've always taken opportunities to perform in school, like since kindergarten. But I never took it seriously until maybe like I was eight years old. And I even went into studio and I recorded a song. So I think maybe that would be the beginning. Eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> Where can we hear that song? Is it on YouTube? No, it was a cover. It's not even original. <laughs> a cover of what? I sang, I'm a survivor. I'm gonna make it. I don't even know why. Don't ask me. <laughs> I think it's the only <laughs> song I knew by heart. Um, and when did you decide, like, was there anything specific, like any Destiny's Child single that made you want to pursue music professionally when you were younger? I mean, what was the turning point for you? Ooh. I think the turning point for me wasn't so much external. It was, like I told you, I started performing in school and like in concerts. So like around that same time when I was eight, I did, it's called a tea time concert. It's like at the end of the term or semester, whatever you call it, you've been like perform, you've been like practicing all semester, all term. And then by the end, now you have to like sing to your year group and your year group's parents and family, whatever it is you've been practicing. So I sang a Whitney Houston song. It was either Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey, one of the two. Um, my friend, I, I even remember her name. It was, I think it was Bajel's mom. <laughs> um, she cried. She cried. Like when I was singing, she was crying. At the end, she was like, that was so beautiful. And I was like, that, I was shocked. I didn't think I was good at singing, first of all. And I didn't think I could touch somebody through my music. And I think after that, I kind of decided that I wanted to do this. But it sounds like you were sort of taking a more professional stance at it, like doing it in school as well and having like this sort of recital at the end of the, at the, end of the term. Yeah, I definitely was already kind of taking it seriously. Like my mom tells me that since like the age of four, I've always known that I wanted to, to sing. But that was the moment where I knew that it was something I could actually do and other people see it too. You know, I, it just felt like an internal thing. And after that, like after that moment in school, what, what did you do to pursue it more professionally? I started taking singing lessons. I took singing lessons, violin lessons, piano lessons, drum lessons. Yeah, I think that's all I took in prep school at that age. Actually, not saying it out loud, I, I feel like I did take it pretty seriously. <laughs> Which instrument stuck? Uh, like, what do you still play? Funny that you ask, because I don't play any of those instruments anymore. <laughs> it was just voice. But, but playing those instruments helped me later in life now, because I produce. And did you use that bubble you were talking about of jazz in Nairobi to meet, connect with other people? Um... I think it helped that I went to the specific schools that I went to. Um, I went to a British school. You would kind of say that they're... I don't want to use the word elite, but they're kind of up there. And I, I don't know. I have my own mixed feelings about that now in life when I feel when I when I look back at like the the politics of Kenya and Nairobi. And but like I guess having gone to that school and having interacted with those teachers, those teachers also perform at these festivals. And also my my dad and my aunt. My aunt also used to sing and perform. So I'd see her live. She was the one who introduced me to my mentor, Eric Wainena, the one I was mentioning who does, um, he does Afrofusion jazz music. So there's kind of a bubble that you just end up knowing, even if you, even if you're just a music scholar in school, you kind of just end up knowing these people. 
But actually, what, what ended up thrusting me into the music industry was not this bubble. It was back in high school, not back in high school, now later in high school. Um, I, I joined a band, a hip hop band, and they were called Camp Mula. I mean, we called ourselves Camp Mula. Like we were just a, a, a hip hop high school band. Like we were all from different schools, but like sister schools, you know, like I'll play basketball at your school. It'll be like a rivalry type thing. And so we got to know each other and we joined a band and I was the only female singer in that band. And we got kind of popular amongst our, just like our age group. But there was a breaking point where they played our music on radio and that thrust us into like the actual music industry. And I was like 13, 14 at the time. So oh. yeah, it wasn't even about connections. It was, I think that was just an authentic, you, you know, when something just blows up just because it's dope. Uh, interesting. I didn't know you were so young when that happened because uh, you were nominated for a BET award also for that, right? Yeah, that's the group. That's the group that we got nominated for. Does the name stand for uh, anything? Camp Mula? It's Mula is money. Oh, all right. Camp Mula. It was, yeah, we were inspired by, you know, Lil Wayne, Drake and the, wait, what were they called? Cash Money something? Yeah, so that was the inspiration behind that. But that was the guys. Like, I was more into the R&B, less into, like, the hip-hop. Sounds like a lot to take in when you were, like, 13, 14. How, it was. How did, you, uh, how did you manage to, like, cope with all the pressure, I guess, and expectations as well? Um, I don't... I have no idea how I was able to cope because it was crazy. And I'm an introvert. And, you know, like, the second you become, like, a, a big musician, now all of a sudden you're a celebrity... <laughs> which kind of goes hand in hand with like the extra you you're expected to be an extrovert so that was a bit crazy for me but i was talking about my, this with my mom the other day she was like how how do you she asked me exactly what you're asking me like you're such an introvert how do you take how do you handle all this because she can also see that the music industry is crazy at that time i think i was lucky that i was still in school so it wasn't all the time I had at least like a normal safe space outside of the industry bubble. And nowadays, though, I feel like private life has gone public in some sort of sense because oh, you yeah. know, um, social media has a big influence on all of us. Um, so you have to sort of embrace that extrovert side of yours, even if you don't like it. Would you say it helped? Uh, I think maybe because I grew up in the industry that, so, that um, it probably affected my personality. But now I think just in the sense that I, I know how to perform as an extrovert when I need to. It's like I'm an introvert with extroverted tendencies because I've had <laughs> to have them. And it's kind of like practice and, and knowing when, to, when you need to take a break to like recharge as an introvert. Um, but I don't know. I don't think social media has helped. I think it's made it worse. It's made it so that there's no actual safe... Space. But aren't you in some sort of a control uh, over what you decide to upload and share over social media? Are you though? Are you really? <laughs> um, I guess you are kind of, but I feel like there's a, there's a certain kind of content that thrives on social media. So I don't know if, if any of us are really that much in control, but you are kind of. So you broke up with Camp Mula and decided to go to Boston, right? Yeah. How is Boston in comparison to Nairobi? Oh, okay. So first I went to LA, actually. I went to a school in LA, found out that I didn't really like it. And then I went to Boston. Um, so I guess my first introduction to America was LA. How was it? How was LA? Different. 
very extremely. So I'm so happy I went though, because have you ever heard the phrase, um, big fish in a small pond? Yeah. I kind of felt like that with Kamula. Like we were so big that there was nowhere else to go. But that was it. There was no, there was no up to climb after that. And so leaving was really great, even though everybody in Nairobi hated us for breaking up. I also think that comes from the lack of exposure that, that those people might also have. Because a lot of Kenyan bands, when they break up and go to the States, they just disappear. But that was the only examples of that they have were artists from the 90s. So I guess in that time, when you don't have social media, the industry was very like if you're big in America, you're just big in America. If you're big in SA, you're just big in South Africa. Like you're not. It was harder to go global back then. But now with technology, you can be popping from anywhere and your music can be shared and listened to across the world. Okay, but back to your question. How is LA different from Nairobi? It was extremely different because, first of all, people are, I want to say nice, but you know LA nice. What does that mean? What would you say the difference is, like, culturally? I mean, Africans in general, we, when we're nice, we're still very real. We're still very raw and very... Huh. You know, we have this, like, I don't know if you call it a strength, but it's this Africanness, just like, ah, my homie. I don't know, less smiling. We'll be nice from the heart. It's not from the face. But in LA, I feel like the niceness is from the face and from your voice. It's very soft. And I don't know, I'm not saying anything deeper about the two. It's just very different. So to me, that felt like people were nicer. But I realized that's just a different way of showing their niceness. Yeah. I had to yeah, get used to that. Sure. So you, were you struggling in, uh, in, in LA to like find yourself, find the people to associate with? No, I was thriving. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think in, in Nairobi, I'm quite strange. And so I found LA, LA has all different kinds of people. I found people so easily and they're still my friends to this day. So I kind of miss it for that. So what made you move to Boston and take your, like, your stuff, pack them and start in Berkeley? So I was in the school called Cal Arts. It's a... It's an art school, like the name implies. We had music, drama. Um, what else did we have? Animation. Yeah, you, do you is know it? Very well known for their animation it's, program. It's, it's yeah, an amazing course. school, but I felt the music department was kind of not that great. The music department was more to support the animation department, if that makes sense. And here yeah. I am trying to be an artist, like kind of like a pop. I didn't know at the time that I was pop. I thought I was very alternative. But I did want to be an artist. And so that's not what their strength was. It was really confusing to me, though, because I'm also a, like I also draw, I paint. I'm also a visual artist. So that environment of CalArts was amazing. But it wasn't what I needed, like academically. So I had to leave at some point. Um, I went to Berkeley, which was another whole experience. Um, Berkeley is a lot more focused on how to get into the music industry and thrive with yeah their faculty are all people practicing and people who won awards in the actual music industry so that's why i decided to go there was boston any different from la in that sense um people were nicer from the heart <laughs> i don't know man but boston people can be cold <laughs> like if you're just walking <laughs> on the street there's a very cold energy that Boston has, but I think it's once you get to know people that they're that they can be warm and chill. For sure. It also comes from the weather though. <laughs> oh hell yeah. The weather definitely affects that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh major in when you were at Berkeley? I majored in electronic music production. 
you produce your own music, right? I produce a lot, a lot of my music, but I haven't released a lot of the stuff that I've produced fully. So I think out of the stuff that's currently out, it's so crazy because I have like a whole bank of stuff that I've produced myself, but I realized that I haven't released it. I don't know. This thing with artists, we can just like stack stuff up and be like, yeah, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. <laughs> but have you released anything? Um, so a lot of the stuff that I've released, I, it's more like I, I engineered on or like I executive produced or I had, I had like a hand in it, but not fully produced. But coming soon. And when, uh, over time in the States, you were part of a group called uh, Cosmic Homies. Yeah. yeah. How did you know about that? We actually really, really love the music you guys produced. Where did it happen? Like, was it in L.A. Um, or in Boston? That music happened everywhere. So the four of us, first of all, none of us are from the same place. Actually, no, that's a lie. Me and Teo are from the same place. Who was part of the band? So me and Teo were in Camp Mula before and we both like rebelled against pop music. And then we ended up in Cosmic Homies. Um, so me and him are both from Kenya. Joseph is from Tanzania. And Marushka is from L.A., but her blood is from Croatia. She's from, I think she was from Croatia. So we, I guess we got together in Nairobi, but then I was back and forth from Boston. So I'd make some music in Boston. Joseph would come to Boston with me sometimes. And then as Cosmic Homies, we met in L.A. Sometimes we lived in L.A. for a short time. And then we, we had a short stint in New York. And then we went to Austin, Texas, and then back to Nairobi. So, like, all this music was made as we were doing all this. For sure. I mean, it, you produced some great music. I mean, what was the idea behind, like, the, forming this group? I think we all went through an awakening, kind of at the same time, like a spiritual awakening. And so we gravitated towards each other because we were talking about the same stuff. Would you be willing to tell us more about that spiritual awakening? Maybe I'll just add one more thing, like you mentioned somewhere, reading Aldous Huxley's uh, The Doors of Perception. Again, where did you get this information from? Huh? How do you know this? <laughs> You're Karen. We have to know. No, that's mad. <laughs> no one has ever asked me that. Ever. No, I guess it connects in some way to your spiritual awakening. So we'd love to hear about that. Um, actually, okay, my awakening, I, I think, actually started in 2012. That was around the time that I decided to go to the States. And then I met Cosmic Homies guys maybe a, a year or two after that. So it had been kind of going on for a while. And we all kind of met. Was it 2014? 2013? 2013, 2014. We all kind of met and had been going through this individually kind of at the same time. It all started in 2012, like for all of us. And yeah, so by the time we met, we were like, oh yeah, consciousness, oh yeah, meditation. <laughs> uh, like, oh yeah, psychedelics, bro, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like, we're just like, oh my God, I haven't found my tribe and now these are my tribe. Like, we get to talk about these things. Um, so that's kind of how it happened for all of us individually and then together. So we also kind of helped each other along our journeys. And I think also the music helped us kind of navigate our own minds and our own consciousness and psychedelics. Do you have a particular example for how the music sort of exemplifies this journey or the way it helped you struggle? Ah, all the Cosmic Homies music was produced by all of us. And I mixed and mastered that entire project. I, it, 
let me not even say it out there like that i wasn't that good at the time <laughs> but but still like having being so hands on it's kind of like our whole beings was literally in the music our personal experiences the vibe of the room when we made it is all in the music i like if i can listen to that music and i remember we were burning palo santo there was an amethyst crystal right there like i can i can feel everything from that moment and it kind of helped have you like when you have a psychedelic trip it's advised to kind of talk it out or at least like internalize everything that you've kind of just been through right so that you can now live your life having learned all that stuff so making the music was kind of like that it was like going through an awakening but letting it let, allowing yourself to integrate it all into your being through the process of making the music what did you find about yourself during that process that you sort of disconnected from um i'm not sure if that's that's not the way it was back then i think that's what's happening now with this music that i'm making that's coming out this friday <laughs> um but but back then back then it was more like just growing internally and away from the pop music scene so like i said like we kind of rebelled against pop music because kamula got so huge and none of us are that kind of a person who's obsessed with fame and money so it was very annoying to always be associated with that fake stuff and that's not that's not who i was let me speak for myself not for like the whole band so when i ended up making music with cosmic homies it was like just allowing myself to be strange to be left to be expressive to say things that i know a lot of people will not resonate with but in saying it through the cosmic homies music i know it was going towards other people who were like us it wasn't going to the masses that was never the intention and so yeah it just felt safe and like a point where i could actually grow into myself would you say it was more authentic hell yeah we didn't censor ourselves at all which is more than i can say for actual like music that ends up on the radio it's, yeah <laughs> there's too many thoughts that go into your mind about how it would be received or what kind of feedback would i get what do you mean by too many thoughts i think i might need to backtrack a bit so in 2019 i, I released a song called glow up and it was i released it on the empower platform with mr easy it was this thing he was doing a dope thing so i released a song and a music video and that was like my first music video as me that song was huge it, it kind of sounded like afro beats ish with a little bit of r&b it was still very me very fluid but the afro beats like rhythm really made it cut across to any kind of person so i guess you could call it pop um the the message of the song is like uplifting it's about loving yourself and kind of just like uplifting your sisters it was a very female empowerment song it was kind of gen gender fluid but very female energy and so that song was like huge well okay not as huge as camilla but it was pretty big and i enjoyed the fact that a song with such a positive message could reach this many people because that's kind of why I make music is that I want to affect people positively. I want to say something and I want it to be heard. So I wanted to make more music like that. And that's where this EP came from. Um and so when when you're making music and you know that a lot of people are going to hear it, it's not that I censor myself to um to to censor myself. It's more that I 
craft what I'm saying for it to positively impact people rather than for there to be controversy or to rather than having words in there that I know people might misconstrue for something else. So it's more like I simplify things so that it can be grasped. And that's not what we did in Cosmic Homies at all. We went very deep and I loved the fact that I had the time in my life to do that. And maybe after this project, maybe I'll, I'll bring the two together somehow. So do you think like Cosmic Homies um, era had more layers to it as music? Like some people wouldn't understand? Oh yeah, for sure. Actually, since you've listened to it, what do you think? I loved it. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I think it's like super unique. A lot of, I mean, at least from my understanding, African influence in it. And I love the text, the lyrics. I think that it's a great project. Yeah, actually, everything you've been saying about the project really comes through on the tracks. Uh, you can really hear that there's a lot more to it. Well, I wish they were here to hear that. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll forward this to them so they can hear that. <laughs> but I feel you. I also want yeah. more music like that just in the world. Just like yeah. very raw, deep, different. Um, I was thinking about a concept we stumbled upon um, while researching on your music as well called uh, New Nairobi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could just give us like a small breakdown of what does that mean? New Nairobi is a term that was being used a lot around 2018, 2019. Kind of just to describe, actually, maybe even from like 2014, 2016, around that time. Because, actually, damn, I've been such a, like, I've been so inside. I've been so, like, a part of this movement, now that I think about it, because I released an EP in 2016, and I feel like that's when New Nairobi was, like, at its peak. It, It was very, what can I say, kind of alternative, kind of experimental, but still had, like, pop and R&B roots in it, I guess because it was me, (laughs) that that specific project. But around the same time, there was a lot of other artists coming out and experimenting. This is, like, post-Camp Mula. Like, Camp Mula came in and kind of disrupted the industry because people were only doing, like, kapuka or like genge, or like Afrofusion, like I mentioned, very safe genres that people thought that Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya needed a sound. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, kapuka and genge? Um, kapuka is a, is a sound that kind of sounds like... So all the music is like that. All the music is like that, all of it. <laughs> genge is like Kenyan hip-hop. But it's, this is like from the early 2000s, what I'm, what I'm referencing. And so from the early 2000s up until like 2010, music in Kenya was very safe and very not even good. Like we didn't have that many musicians. We didn't have like healthy competition to make people even try to be better. And so a lot of music wasn't even being played on the radio. But when Camp Mula came through by accident, like I mentioned, it kind of showed people that you can make global sounds and still be Kenyan, and it's okay. You can make things that the youth like to hear. You can make different sounds, and it can still get played on the radio. Like, at that time, people were listening to Beyonce. I don't know, like Neo. You know, the radio had all these American artists, but they didn't play Kenyan music because they thought Kenyan music was bad. But the minute Camp Mula came out with something that sounded global, and it was played on the radio, people are like, oh! Like that literally changed the entire industry. And then when Camp Mula broke up, 
there was like a void. I, I'm I'm telling you this. It's it might sound like egotistical because I was part of the band, but like me looking back, like as a music scholar, I'm, a lot of people have said this. So just keeping that in mind. So like post Kamula, there was like a void in the Kenyan industry, and so people were just craving young music, different music, just something something fresh. And so people were very experimental on SoundCloud. This is where New Nairobi came from. People became SoundCloud artists, but they weren't afraid to experiment. And so we had this whole wave. New Nairobi is not even a genre. It was all different kinds of sounds, experimental sounds, people coming out from the coast, singing soul over experimental beats. It was a pretty interesting time. And then now I feel like post New Nairobi, because people don't talk about New Nairobi anymore. There was a moment where people on Twitter were demanding to have Kenyan music played on the radio. So there was a movement called nice. Play KE Music, hashtag Play KE. That was around 2018. So people were just like every day, Play KE, Play KE, challenging radio stations. Why don't you play Kenyan music? TV stations, why don't you play Kenyan music? Challenging the government. Why are you not supporting Kenyan music? And the backlash was Kenyan music is not good. Kenyan music is not diverse. Kenyan music sucks. That's the, ba the backlash that we got. So... Twitter challenged musicians. They were like, all right, you have a year. You guys say that you're good. Make good music. So Kenyans were like, all right, bet. They made so much music that this is why I'm saying like New Nairobi kind of, the conversation of New Nairobi kind of faded after that because it became, even the, the big artists that were making music before this now started pushing boundaries and started being like, I can make music that sounds like this or like that. I can borrow from like South Africa, Nigeria. I can, I, I don't have to be stuck in this little bubble that I've been stuck in. And so post 2018, the genres in Kenya exploded. Like we have way more genres now. Gangatone became a thing. Gangatone is huge. I think it still needs to be refined a bit, but, but it has like so much potential. Um, the hip hop scene has been booming. R&B is coming up. I'm I'm part of the R&B wave. Um, and so, yeah, now we're not really saying New Nairobi anymore because it's like that was the seed of what is now just Kenyan music. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, the fact that Twitter sort of affected Kenyan music and the way it's being produced. Yeah. Kenyans on Twitter are ruthless. Don't mess with them. <laughs> so uh, now nowadays, when you look at Kenyan music, would you see any specific inspirations that it takes from, I don't know, Africa in general. Um, how, how diverse is it? Oh my God. It's probably, I think we're the most, like if you're going to look at like Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, Tanzania, if you're going to look at these, like these industries, these, these music industries in, in Africa, and then look at Kenya, I think we're the most, we've always been the most exposed to like cultures in terms of like the way we were taught in school so our music kind of ends up being the same it's not always been a good thing though because like you know nigeria has its sound nigeria is very nigerian shamelessly very proud i think the same with tanzania tanzania has its own thing going on south africans the same thing they have their their pride and they have their culture and it's very strong and kenya we never had that for a very long time and we we felt bad about not having our own sound, our own culture that's loud like that because we're very very colonized. We're very we're very British. Like when when I was around eight, again, I went to London, 
And literally, people thought I was from there. Like, that's how connected our cultures are with, like, the UK. Um, and so I feel like Genge and Kapuka are probably the only things that people would say. That sounds Kenyan because it sounds African. But we've also been borrowing from other African countries. So at this point, I think the biggest genre that we have is Genge tone. It has such a Kenyan energy. It's like aggressive as hell. And that I think is the most Kenyan thing that we have. But the actual sounds, Genge tone comes from reggaeton, which is South American. So again, it's like, is it really Kenyan? But I, I, I feel like we're getting to the point where we're just being ourselves. And so eventually you'll be able to like pinpoint what that thing is. Definitely. And it's hard with cultures in general. I mean, as you said, being colonized by the, by the British and being affected by their culture or listening to some music from South America, Middle East, no matter where, it's sometimes hard to like differentiate where, where you start and where the other inspiration comes from. Um, you mentioned something about schools being very rigid and not, and, and you thought that something in the education you received sort of narrowed your horizons like your mental horizons yeah i mean i don't think it's in the way that you think i went to a british school and so everything we were taught was as if we were li literally in the uk like they were teaching us things that they wanted their british kids to learn i just happened to be an african kid in that system so i learned nothing about my history i i i was ashamed of speaking my mother tongue so i don't even know my mother tongue i don't know kiswahili which is our national language And so now the school that I went to is, is um, there, there are a number of these kinds of schools, but these are not the schools that most people go to. Most people go to 844 schools, which are local schools, which still borrow from the British culture um, curriculum, but they're taught Kiswahili, they're taught Kenyan history, they're taught by Kenyans. Like it's very different. They have, a, a, they're a bit more grounded. Like kids that come from that school, those schools are a bit more grounded than I think I am. Because now, like, throughout my whole career, people have been like, why don't you make music in Kiswahili? Why are you always talking in English? Like, I'll be walking in town and like, and try and buy something from the streets. You know, when you go to, like, a marketplace, you have to bargain, right? <laughs> they'll just give me one look or, like, hear me talking and they'll be like, you're not from here. And they'll want to charge me, like, extra. So even if I've lived here my wow. whole life, I feel like I'm not from here. And yeah. Really? So you feel like a foreigner in Kenya in some sort of sense? Yep. And the crazy thing is there are so many foreigners in Kenya who find it so easy to assimilate, like to, to come in and just like live here because of that. Because we have, yeah, our culture is very kind of open. But they feel more at home in my country, which is crazy, than I do. Where do you feel the most at home? Mm. Oh my God. You know, honestly, I don't know. But when you said that, the first thing that came to my mind was LA. So that's crazy. Interesting. I feel like no one in LA is from LA. Do you guys feel at home in Tel Aviv? Well, sometimes and sometimes not. It really depends on the day, how I woke up. I mean, does anyone really always feel at home? That's uh, it's a tough question. People here, are, though, are nice from the heart, that's for sure. Oh. No, I really like that phrasing of like trying to talk about sincerity and authentic authenticity as well. Um, you were talking about the fact that you're very visual as well, um, seeing your music videos. 
you can really see it like aesthetically all the colors are very vibrant and i'm not there yet though i want i want to direct one day like fully where's the inspiration from for music videos lol pinterest um <laughs> 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 uh, yeah uh, i don't know i look at things and if they resonate with me then i'm like yeah that one Even just like my Instagram, sometimes I'll look at an image and it's like, I know that's me, but that doesn't feel like me. And so that's not going to be part of my branding. I think it's, yeah. So you're really thinking about branding when you're making your music videos? Yeah, because growing up, well, I don't know if it's about branding, but more about the energy that I want to have out there. It's because growing up in the industry, people have always tried to tell me who I am. And especially when I was in Katmula, because it was a hip hop group, they all had these assumptions of what kind of a person I was. And so I was always getting written articles that say bullshit. And it's just, that's not me. And so from, a, from, from then, I kind of wanted to have control over my image and what people perceive of me. Does that come to existence with your music videos, for, for example? Trying to. <laughs> I'll let you know when I feel like I've, I've got <laughs> everything's a learning curve for sure you said you want to direct at some point uh, did you direct your own music videos or did you have someone do that for you I kind of worked hand in hand with the directors I think I think because of what I told you I've, I've been very like no 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 I need to be involved in this creative direction but I haven't fully directed yet but I think I'm learning through that process what it takes Can't wait to see that. For sure. So, Karen, let's talk about your new project. This project means a lot to me because I was supposed to release something in 2019 and I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because there was just a lot of stuff that I hadn't processed, a lot of things that I didn't formalize in my life, and I was kind of coming out from a rush place. I had just given birth. So there was just too much happening for it to happen, like, authentically and, and like for um in a good way and so that was kind of heartbreaking that it didn't come out and so i spent 2020 taking my time and kind of just handpicking the vibes and trying to be a bit more intentional with this next project so it's been a while since i released a project and i feel like my fans have been asking for it so <laughs> I felt bad for not having one and now I finally have one and I feel like it's it's a it's an accurate representation of like the steps that I want to take coming forward especially with the distribution that I have and my team the vibes just feel really right and so I'm super happy to be releasing this project is it an album an EP it's an EP I know I'm talking about it like it's an album like oh my god I worked so hard on this <laughs> but like it's kind of leading up to an album so it's like the beginning of a story What's different about this one than the rest of your music so far? I feel like it's a lot more me. I've grown into myself. Before I was trying to figure out who I was, experimenting, rebelling, but now it feels a bit more grounded. Did you say that this is your first project since you've become a mother? Yes, it is. Has that changed the way you make music? Hmm. I, yeah, I'm not sure if I can pinpoint how, but yes. It's just changed me. I've just grown, so. For sure. I mean, a lot of responsibility. Responsibility, but even like a change of perspective. You know, you see the world. 
you you see the world again through your kids' eyes, and so you kind of remember what's important, what's not important. Yeah, a lot of growing. Definitely. All right. So thanks a lot for doing it. Yeah. Thanks for calling me up. <laughs> and we're really looking forward to see how the project will sound. I really enjoyed this interview. You guys are you're good with your research and ting 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 ting. Thanks, Karen, Ben, and Max for this conversation. This episode of 830 Somewhere was brought to you by Basebase, your favorite international platform for music-related content. Thank you so much for listening, and as an independent platform, we would highly appreciate any kind of support. So if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media, where you can share your thoughts about this episode. Big shout out to everyone behind this episode of 830 Somewhere. Hosting by Ben Schroni, Max Gorin, and myself, Gabby Lagursio. Editorial work by Ben Schroni. Production by Max Gorin. Coordination by David Granostay. Booking by Sophia Reiners. Music and sound effects by Max Gorin and Hackback. I'm Gabby Lagursio. Hope you've enjoyed your flight. See you soon, somewhere.